the background for the lion's tonight. You know? <laughs> hey, where's Machia? Oh, she there's. I see her name, but she's uh. She doesn't have a video. There she is. Okay, Mom, so I'll, I'll begin Kirtan? Yes, Marsh, please. Ready? Yeah. <sighs> All right, Krishna. <laughs> Nama Om Vishnu Padaya Krishna Pristaya Bhutale Sri Mate Bhakti Vedanta Samin iti namine namao Vishnu padaya Krishna pristaya bhutale Sri Mate bhakti vedanta Swamin iti namine namaste Sarasati deve Gauravani Pracharine Nirvishesha Shunyavadi Paschatya Deshatarine Namaste Sarasate Deve Gauravani Pracharine Nirvishesha Shunyavadi Paschatya Deshatarine Jaya Sri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhunityananda Sri Adaita Gadarar Sri Vasadi Gaurabhakta Vrinda Now you do it responsibly. Sri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhunityananda Siya Deita Gadara Siva Sadi Gauda Bhaktavinda Jaya Sri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhunityananda Siya Deita Gadara Siva Sadi Gauda Bhaktavinda Jaya Sri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhunityananda. You can open your microphones and sing. The Gadadhar Siva Sadi Gaurabhakta Vrinda. Jaya Sri Krishna Chaitanya. You guys do the next time. Sri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhunityananda Sri Adaita Gadadhar Sri Vasadi Gauda Bhakta Vrinda. Now all of you. Jaya Sri Krishna Chaitanya Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare, Hare Krishna, Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama. Rama Rama Hare 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 Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare 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 Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare 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 Krishna, Hare Krishna, 
ಜಾಯಂಸ್ನಿಜಯಂಸ್ನಿಜಯಂಸ್ನಿಜಯಂಸ್ನಿಜಯಂಸ್ನಿಜಯಂಸ್ನಿಜಯಂಸ್ನ
one who crosses down from the spiritual realm to the material realm. And then from the same root, when the avatara comes down, a great soul, then the avatar can be a great devotee, can be Krishna himself, opens a channel. And so you can cross back up to the spiritual realm. Therefore, the place where you cross, the crossing, there's a Sanskrit word uh, which literally means crossing, but it also comes to mean a holy place because a holy place literally is a crossing where a portal opens and you can cross into the spiritual realm. And of course, the Sanskrit word I'm talking about is Tirtha. You all know, those of you who have an Indian background obviously know the word Tirtha. I mean, with translated holy place, it literally means a crossing. It literally means a crossing. And it comes from the same root as the word Tara, as in Avatara. So the Avatara crosses down, opening a channel, and then you cross back up to the spiritual realm. And that's called a Tirtha. So um, that being the case, so here we have the word avatarana. Now the word avatarana is just another Sanskrit noun made from the same root, but tarana can also mean bringing down in this word avatarana. So for bringing down the burden of the earth, it's like, let's say for example, you're walking and you're carrying something heavy and some very strong person says, oh, I can take that off your shoulders. And they just easily lift it off your shoulders and suddenly your burden is gone. That's the word avatarana. So bringing down a burden that is on you. And so it's, it's a very common language. You find this in many Bhagavatam verses that uh, bhubhara, the earth's burden or uh, bhuvobhara, this is a very common theme that when the Asuras invaded the earth, it was a burden on the earth. And then Krishna took down that burden on the earth. This is, so this is, you find this uh, often actually in, um, in Sanskrit literature, especially the Bhagavatam. So Bharavataranaya Anye. So this verse is actually giving a type of um, intellectual history from 5,000 years ago and explaining how different people explained the fact that Krishna himself had come to the world. Because uh, it's not that everyone 5,000 years ago had perfect theological clarity, as is often the case, even as the case of Lord Chaitanya. For example, you find in the Chaitanya Charitamrita, which was written roughly a generation after Lord Chaitanya, but some people are still alive like Nityananda. So it's like another generation, Krishna's Kaviraj. But you find in that book that Krishna's Kaviraj, the author, is sort of running through different theories that people have. Like, who is Lord Chaitanya? Why did he come? And so you have this uh, overwhelming event of, you know, like in that Christian song, joy to the world, the Lord has come. So you have this event of the avatar of Krishna coming to the world. And many people, perhaps most people don't have theological precision. They don't know exactly, you know, who Krishna is, exactly why he came. And so there's all different theories. And, and this is a theme uh, in the Bhagavatam. And in the Chaitanya Charitamrita, you see people in the immediate aftermath of Krishna's descent trying to figure out what just happened. Who was that person that just walked on the earth? And so it's in that context that you have the last word of the first line of this verse, anye, others. In other words, the idea is, and so therefore, I, it's a, I think it's a pretty safe bet. I'm going to go back to the previous verse and find another theory. Because that's, a, that's typical Sanskrit language in the Bhagavatam where they'll, they'll say that, okay, some people say this and others say that. So here we have the word anye. So I'm going to uh, test my little theory here and go back to the previous verse. And if I'm wrong, uh, don't tell anyone. Yes. So the previous verse says, apare, other, like some people, like, some people say this and others say that and still others say that. So verse 33 
and the verse before that, because apare is sort of a synonym for others. It's like these people and others and still others. So therefore, I'm going to go back one more verse, and I expect, uh, yes, I found what I was looking for. Found the Sanskrit word I was looking for, which is kechit. Kechit means some people, kechit ahur, some people say. So this is like sort of typical Sanskrit composition. Kechit ahur, some people say the Lord came for this reason. And then apare, uh, and others say he came for this reason. And anye, and still others say this. We're actually getting several different theories which were going around that were circulating 5,000 years ago as people are struggling to understand what just happened. That, you know, Krishna, the Lord himself came to this world. What's going on? Why did he come? And so learned, you know, theologians, philosophers are just trying to trying to understand it. So this is very interesting. We're actually getting a glimpse into, you could say, contemporary history. But as it was going on 5,000 years ago, as different communities, different philosophers, scholars are just struggling to understand what just happened, that, that Krishna himself came to this world. So it's very interesting. And so we'll go back now to the verse of today, uh, which is uh, 1834. So yeah, as soon as I saw the word anye, I knew there, there must have been other theories. So others um, believe, because the verb, the verb for this verse is being carried over from the previous verses. So anyway, according to Sanskrit composition, kechit ahur, the verb actually occurred if, you know, two verses back, some people say, or some people teach, or some people claim. And so that's the verb. And then when it says, and others, the same verb is sort of entailed grammatically so that some people say this and others say that, and still others are claiming something else. So therefore, uh, the verb uh, for this 1834 is actually carried over implicitly from two verses ago. It's the verb ahur. Anyway, that's a little taste of uh, Sanskrit analysis. So here we have this verse, bar avatar and I anye, and others say that it was, the purpose was to bring down the burden of the earth, which was these sort of, you know, demonic uh, people taking over earthly countries. That could never happen in our times, right? Like a really bad person becoming the leader of a country. And so they give an analogy here, buvo nava eva udadhau, like the earth was like a boat on the ocean. Udadhau means, I'm, excuse me one second, I'm going to, there's no nice way to do that. So buvo nava eva udadhau, like a boat on the ocean, which is sidantya, uh, which is sinking. Buri So this is an example that the earth, our planet, was like a boat, Udadhau, on the ocean, which is sinking, Sidantya, sinking because of a heavy burden. Because of a heavy burden, the boat is sinking into the water. And that's like the earth. The earth is like a boat because it carries all of us. I mean, these are very... Uh, common metaphors found in this ancient literature that the material world is like an ocean, an ocean of illusion, an ocean of insatisfaction. And But on this ocean, there's a boat that can carry us across the ocean, again, playing on the word Tara from Avatara, crossing over. And so... Uh, spiritual knowledge and spiritual practice are like a solid boat that carry us across. But now the earth is like a boat that's sinking, like a boat that's sinking because of this heavy burden of, uh, if we're still allowed to say it, evil. 
I mean, if we're if we can say the word evil without sounding medieval and uh, whatever, uh, you know, just people doing bad things to other people, and the power of impiety had become so strong that the earth was sinking under the weight of it. And so then, therefore, Krishna Jato, and, and, and other people even say that Jato, Krishna took birth. Again, we're getting, you know, explanations. Jato, Krishna has taken birth. He indeed, Atma Bhuvartitaha, because he was requested, he was uh, begged to come by Atma Bhuva. Atma Bhuva, who is Lord Brahma, sort of the, if you know Plato, the Demiurgos, the engineer of the cosmos, not the supreme god, but the cosmic engineer. So you find it here as Brahma, and you find it, of course, in Plato as the, as the Timaeus, the Platonic dialogue, the, the Timaeus, which Plato calls it the Demiurgos. Keep in mind that Plato is halfway back to Krishna. Here we are 5,000 years later, an awful long time. And if you go halfway back to Krishna, when people were exponentially more in touch with what Krishna taught, even if what Krishna taught was filtered through, as it was, uh, different regional cultures. And in fact, the, um, the Greeks uh, took that to be the case, not specifically in terms of India, because there's a, um, there was a famous doctrine held by the Greeks, including Alexander, actually, Macedonian, that, which is called Interpretatio Greca, the Greek interpretation. And the Romans adopted it and called it Interpretatio Romana, which means this interpretation is that, that uh, there is an objective truth in the universe. There's even a, an objective truth about God or about, you know, assistant gods. But in different cultures and different countries, people use different names. Uh, they, they have different stories. But if you look closely, and you're not a religious fanatic or a fanatical skeptic, then you, and they're both kind of equally irrational, then you find that there is a family resemblance. There really, it's just like, for example, take, this just popped into my head, take the example of rice. Everywhere in the world, there are different words for rice. Riso in Italian, arroz in Spanish, and so on, rice in English. So in every country has a word for rice, and they cook rice differently. And it may even look differently, you know, the colors, but it's all rice. And of course, there are many different species of rice. There are many different, you know, types of rice, but it's all rice. And so in the same way, this Interpretatio Greca, uh, Alexander was actually really into this whole idea. That's a whole other story, Alexander and his attempt to establish religious syncretism in his empire in order to bring world peace. But anyway, um, so in the Bhagavatam or in this philosophy, this culture, Atma Bhu uh, literally means self-existing, is a name of Brahma because he was born, came directly from God. He was not uh, born from a, uh, a mother and father of this universe. He came directly and therefore he's called Atma Bhu. So here it said, Jato, the Lord took birth. He indeed Atma Bhuva, by Atma Bhu, Artita, being uh, requested, solicited, begged for, and so on. So these are all different ideas of why Krishna came to this world. And ultimately, in Bhagavad Gita, Krishna himself explains why he comes to this world. So this raises another interesting question that when Krishna spoke Bhagavad Gita, how much time passed? How many generations passed before uh, the Gita as we know it really was firmly established? As we know from the Bhagavatam, when the Bhagavatam describes its own uh, or, or describes the trail of the Vedas, the historical trail that Vyasadeva spoke these great literatures. There's no, by the way, there's no mention anywhere in the Mahabharata 
or the Bhagavatam, the people writing things. This was an oral civilization, very intelligent people. And so in the Bhagavatam, the, the verb that's usually used to describe yes, producing the Vedas, of course, he divided the Vedas. He, did, he didn't write them. He, but the verb, like say how Vyas produced the Mahabharata or Bhagavatam, which were original, it, it, the verb is just the verb to do or to make. He made the Mahabharata. And, and the Sanskrit verb is kri, uh, like kara, all the words, you know, innumerable words in Indian Sanskrit, kara, kara, and all these words. And uh, the verb is chakara. So from that Sanskrit, we still have English words like create and increase. And so that's the verb that's used. Chakara, Bhagavan, that, that he made, he composed it, not written it. But in any case, then it's described that Vyasta, after he composed these works or organized the Vedas, he turned them over, he entrusted them to different Brahminical communities. And so if you look at the four Vedas, what you find, if you study the, the four Vedas from his scholarly perspective, these four Vedas actually were preserved and taught and interpreted within Brahminical schools. So therefore, in, in terms of the genealogy, in terms of the history of the Vedas, you have the four Veda Sanghitas, Rik, Sama, Yajur, and Tarva Veda. And then you have what are called Brahmana literature, which are the oldest uh, interpretations or explanations of the Vedas, and they come from different schools. And these different schools still, their name is still on the Brahmanas. Like, for example, the Rig Veda, there's an Aitareya Brahmana. And that Aitareya Brahmana comes from the community, Brahminical community that descended from Atrimuni. Therefore, it's called the Aitareya Brahmana. And then, of course, later you get Upanishads and different things. But so, but what this means is that when a great sage, even someone as great as Vyasa or others, when they compose or, or edit a great literature, it's not just that, you know, let's say within 72 hours, you can find it on Amazon. Or it's not you go to your local bookstore. We're talking about a, a civilization in which very powerful things happen, but at different speed. They're not so crazy and frantic. They're actually doing things at a normal human speed. So there's a whole process, historical process, by which Vyasa, for example, composes literatures like the Bhagavad Gita, and they exist within Brahminical communities. In the case of Bhagavad Gita, it is taught to people in general. And, and so there's a whole historical process by which it becomes known and how long that took, how many generations. So therefore, I mean, assuming it took generations, because as we know, as Prabhupada says, as the Bhagavatam says, even when Krishna was personally on the earth, not everyone, in fact, perhaps not most people, actually knew who Krishna was. And this is very vividly described when Krishna enters the wrestling arena of Kangsa. And different groups of people had different opinions about who Krishna was. Because Krishna himself says uh, that Naham uh, Prakasha Sarvasya. I'm not, I don't reveal myself to everyone. Yoga Maya Samabrita. I cover myself with Yoga Maya. And so how long did it take for people to get it, even in India? First of all, we're talking about a totally pre-industrial, super low-tech transmission. People aren't printing books there. There's no printing presses. Uh, you know, they don't have internet. And so the process of transmission and, 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 and uh, you know, by which this the, it, and, and, and the process by which over historical time it actually spreads and, and a consensus develops in India that Krishna was actually God. It was actually God that came to our to our land and he spoke the Bhagavad Gita. And therefore it is Bhagavad Gita. It is the song of God. And so there's a whole historical process. We don't know how many generations this took. 
We don't know how many generations this took. And that's why we see at this point, uh, Kunti is speaking, certainly when Krishna is personally on the planet, there's nothing, there's not a consensus about who Krishna is. And so anyway, I find that interesting that all these historical processes are taking place. Uh, and in these verses, we get a glimpse of those historical processes. Playing out. Anyway, so uh, perhaps you have some questions. Any questions? Uh, oh, you can write them in the chat box or you can speak them or... Maharaj, you said uh, Vyasa did not write the Vedas. He organized them. So is that, that's why it is Vedas called Aparusheya, They're not coming. Yeah, Vyasa, the word Vyasa is actually a vocational title. Because asa means to place. And that's where we get the word asana. You know, so asa means to place, and v means a part. V is the opposite of sum in Sanskrit. So if you have sankirtan, together kirtan. Or for example, in Sanskrit, you find in the Gita, Krishna uses the word sang yoga. I mean, so I mean, I mean in English, to be emphatic, you can say link together, you know to link things together, to be emphatic. And that's what the word sangyoga is. And you have the word viyoga, to de-link things. V in Sanskrit often is like D, meaning not, or the opposite in English, like to deconstruct or to de-link. And so that's viyoga, to de-link. So, so the word V means to separate. Uh, you know, there are many words that use it. So. And, and also can mean to separate in the sense to, to deviate, as in vikarma. So it can mean just to separate in the sense to, to categorize, which is a neutral sense, or v can mean to separate in a negative sense, like to deviate, as in vikarma. And so in the case of vyasa, it's, it means the categorizer or the separator, because he's separate, because the Vedas, I mean, the four Vedas, the names of the Vedas are descriptions of their contents. So, so rig in Sanskrit, actually pronounced erg, but rig means a hymn. So the rig Veda means, you know, the, the hymn Veda. And in fact, you find all the hymns, because the Vedas are meant as, as, as to be used in Vedic sacrifices. So all the hymns that are chanted in Vedic sacrifices are in the Rig Veda, the hymn Veda. And Yajur means an explanation of Yajna. It's from the same root, Yaj, Yajna, Yajur. And so the Yajur Veda is just that. It's the book of exegesis. It's the, it, it's the Veda that explains everything. Like you're doing sacrifices, here are the hymns you chant, and this is why you're doing it, and this is the whole point of it. And, and so the yajurs, the explanations of the yajnas are in the yajur veda. And the word sama means like, you know, the prosody or the, like the music, the melody, how you sing. It's like, and so the sama veda has verses from the other vedas, but with instructions of how to actually chant them so you get the effect. And the Atarva Veda is kind of like the Voodoo Veda. You know, that's why, because it's like, you know, let's say your neighbor stole some of your land and you want to put a, you know, curse on your neighbor. So because the Atarva Veda kind of has a little of that stuff, that's why Krishna always talks about the three Vedas. Because they were like the three little bit more respectable Vedas. And so that's why Krishna, for example, he says in the chapter nine of the Gita, Trividya the knowledge of the three. In other words, vidya, of course, is obviously a direct synonym of Veda, so tri-vidya, somapan. So you often hear about the, or tri-vedi and so on. So, so then you have these Vedas, and uh, so in a sense, 
the original commentary on the Vedas is the Veda itself, the Ajurveda. The Isopanishad is very special because it's the only Upanishad that is actually directly part of the text of a Veda. So the Isopanishad is actually directly part of the Yajurveda, one of the Yajurvedas, and so that's why the Isopanishad is special. But um, so the Yajurveda itself is talking about the Vedas, and then the next level in terms of most ancient commentaries, you have the Brahmana literature. So these families, these extended Brahminical families, because they intermarried, the, you know, these extended Brahminical families who were guardians of each of the four Vedas. And, and the Bhagavatam describes this. Actually, it, it describes it in the first canto, describes it again, I think, in the 12th canto. The Bhagavatam directly describes how Vyasa entrusted each of the four Vedas to communities. So th- there were communities who were very zealous and they, you know, they, they, you know, they married within their community. They protected the Veda. They explained it. They were the guardians and they were the masters of each of the four Vedas. And they're the ones who produced this Brahmana literature. By the way, um, I'm going to put that shirt back on. Uh, oh, anyway, by the way, um, the oldest Veda, according to linguistic analysis, is the Rig Veda, for obvious reasons. There's an obvious reason why, why it's the oldest, because it's especially the Rig Veda that had to be preserved absolutely in the original form, whereas the Yajur Veda, the explanations, it's not the actual sound, the phonemes, which embodies the power it's the uh, the instructions, you know. So if you follow, the, if you understand the instruction and carry it out, whereas in the Rig Veda, the hymns, it's the actual sound. I mean, the example that's always given, even in the Bhagavatam, is that when Indra killed uh, Vishwarupa, who was uh, kind of, uh, you know, he he had on the side he was offering sacrifices for the Asuras and also the Devas, and he was kind of like, you know all over the place. And so Indra killed him because he didn't want the Asuras being empowered. So his father was furious. Ashrupa's uh, father, Twashta, this is in the Bhagavatam. And so he performed a sacrifice to create this monster who would kill Indra. And so when he, when, when he was chanting the mantras, he made, he misplaced one accent not even the word, he got the word right. He misplaced an accent. And so what he wanted to say, what he was supposed to say is um, Indra Shatru, because Shatru means mortal enemy. Literally an enemy that will cut you down. And so Indra Shatru. But instead of saying Indra Shatru, maybe he was distracted, he said Indra Shatru. If you say Indra Shatru, it is a Karmadarya compound, which means Indra, the mortal enemy of the person you're creating. If you say Indra Shatru, it's a Tatpurusha compound, which means the enemy of Indra. So it, it's, you know, so he missed, messed up the accent. And so instead of creating a monster, who would kill Indra, he created a monster whom Indra would kill. So that's the example that's always given to illustrate that in the Rig Veda, when you're actually chanting the mantras in the Vedic sacrifice, the power is in the sound. It's not in the semantics, it's in the phonetics. To use, you know, grammatical language, semantics means the meaning. Phonetics means the sound. So the power in the Vedic mantras is phonetic, it's not semantic. Whereas if you go to the Yajurveda, the power is semantic. You've got to get the meaning right, and or the Upanishads. It's about the meaning. You've got to get the right understanding. The power is not phonetic, it's semantic. And therefore, when you have one text where the power is phonetic, 
you have to be very, very, very sure to get the phonetics right. Because even if you misplace one accent, you blew the phonetics, the sound itself. And therefore it, you know, it, it backfired literally. However, if you have another literature where the power is semantic, then people will be a little more relaxed about the phonetics, about the grammar. In other words, if I tell you uh, leave now, or if I tell you now leave, it doesn't matter. Or if I say uh, depart now or leave now or, or, or you know, go away now, it all means the same thing. The semantics are roughly the same, even though the phonetics are very different. Therefore, there was more conservatism about the phonetic literature than about the semantic literature over time, where if you didn't exactly preserve every phoneme, every syllable and accent of the Rig Veda, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. The whole thing just doesn't work. Whereas in terms of understanding why you're doing the sacrifice, what the results will be, what's the procedure, it's about semantics. And therefore, you find the oldest, you know, in terms of Vedic linguistic stratigraphy, you find the oldest levels of language precisely in the book where everything rested on phonetics, not semantics. And therefore, and now mundane scholars, as we lovingly call them, they misunderstand this. And therefore, they think that there was a time when there was only a Veda and then later, you know, only this Veda, then later there was that Veda. This is wrong because they're getting faked out by different levels of language when in fact, the original books are equally old. So that's uh, a big mistake made by scholars. I mean, it's an obvious point, but they, uh, they missed it. So, um, anyway, I thought you might be interested. Nitai, you're a scholar. I thought you might be interested to know something about this. Uh-oh, I'm looking at a big picture of myself, which is the last thing in the world I want to see. Okay. Um, hi, Kishmara. This is Ram Giridhari Das, Thunderbirds. Oh, Ram Giridhari. Oh, you, can, can you put your camera on? Yeah, sure, I'm going to camera Hare Krishna Maharaj. Hare Krishna. Um, um, very, very nice, very uh, uh, intriguing uh, set of points. I'm, I have two trivial questions. Uh, so maybe it's not challenging, but then uh, kind of, uh, you know. So you said that uh, when Krishna was there in the planet, uh, the communication systems were not so effective. So how people would have even come to know. But I had always had a different understanding altogether that probably... Um, in those days, they had a much better way of uh, uh, functioning and uh, communication and inter-relationships uh, than what we are portraying today yeah, in terms yeah. of the te te yeah, technology. Yeah, actually, if we look realistically at what's really going on, and we find that in the you know, Mahabharata or Bhagavatam, uh-oh, we have a, an out-of-control spotlighter here. Okay, so then what we find is that um, great sages or devas, demigods, or Krishna himself, yeah, they had fantastic powers, but not people in general. So that, for example, an example of low-tech low is that when the residents, the people who would become the residents of Vrindavan, the Brajabhasis, when they were living in Mahavana, and then Putana attacked, and then Trinavarta. Uh, Trinavarta means grass whirler, because Trina means grass, like Trinata piece. And, and so, and Avarta means whirling, so the grass whirler. And, there was, and so, when they attacked Krishna, the elders thought it's too dangerous here, so they packed up their wagons. This also shows because it's very interesting. I mean, you know, I was trained to look at these things 
in college. And so now you, you can see i am become a totally degraded human being. But one interesting point is that when the residents of Vrindavan decided we've got to move, um, they packed up their belongings and they were out of there practically in 24 hours. Practically in 24 hours. And so, you know, we have paintings of onyx palaces with all kinds of gold accents and, you know, like these fabulous palaces. And, uh, and even in Vrindavan itself, you know, uh, pious Vaishnavs have patronized the construction in, for example, in um, uh, Varshana. Radharani's place and Nandagram, where uh, Nanda was, you know, these palaces, palatial buildings, but actually they packed up and literally overnight. <laughs> and then, and, and then when, when they went to Brindavan, we don't hear about, because they were Vaishas. I mean, they're liberated souls, but they were playing like Vaishas. And so therefore, which means that they had, it was, it was perfectly normal and appropriate for them to employ shudras. And yet we don't hear about sort of these uh, accelerated construction projects like, you know, throwing up palaces and buildings and everything. We don't hear about that. There actually, there are descriptions of magnificent buildings in the Bhagavatam. So it's not that well, they're not mentioned because the Bhagavatam just isn't into architecture. In fact, when you talk about royal cities like Hastinapura or Indraprastha, or even the, the Rig Veda talks about palaces of Indra. Yeah, I mean, you get these elaborate descriptions of fabulous palaces, but not in Vrindavan. So what we see is that, or for example, um, we find people, it's not that everyone was reading everyone else's mind. People told lies. Or people, for example, Jayadratha was going, you know, attacked. He actually tried to abduct Draupadi and Draupadi, you know, just whipped him in the face. It's interesting, you know, that's another whole topic, you know, the idea of what women were in Vedic culture and what they really were. I can give a few examples. That's a whole other topic. Uh, Hindu mores, the Hindu concept of woman's role and the Vedic are, are in many ways different as we can prove from Shastra. They're not the same. So, I mean, chastity was certainly a, a constant. Chastity is a constant, but... So if you look at the way people communicated, what they knew and didn't know, how long it took, like messengers being sent, uh, you know, and, and and so on. Yeah, Narda Muni definitely is uh, super high tech. And and Krishna, but ordinary people, not so much. You don't find ordinary people, you know, reading other people's minds or flying in the sky. Yogis, yeah, yogis can do things. Devas, yogis, avatars. And literally, I mean, in the ordinary use of the English word demigod, the Pandavas were literally demigods, which, I mean, normally in English means half God, half human. So the Pandavas are literally demigods, but not ordinary people. May I say a few things about women, uh, just to throw it out there. I'm not saying that, that in Vedic culture, women were promiscuous or, uh, you, know, you know, slapped their husbands in the face if they didn't like what their husband was saying. But to give an example, but we have to, you see, if you want to chart something, you need two axes, right? The vertical and, and the horizontal axis. And so to say, well, women were like this or men were like that, if you only have one axis, which is gender, you're not going to understand anything. So, for example, a Brahmani was different than a Shudrani. To give some examples, uh, in the Mahabharata, when Krishna was uh, visiting Indraprastha, which, was, which is now Delhi, on the Jamuna, and, and Krishna was visiting Indraprastha, and as you surely know, Delhi gets ridiculously hot in the summer. 
I mean, it's crazy. I mean, that whole Ganga Valley, right? The whole, I mean, it's just, it's, whew. I mean, when I went to Vrindavan once, I made the big mistake, not a mistake, because I went to see Prabhupada, he was ill. But I once went to Vrindavan in May and I, whoa. It, it was just overwhelming, the heat. So anyway, back then it wasn't as hot because Kali Yuga makes these things worse. But what you find in the, in the ancient Vedic culture is they had resort areas. They had vacation areas. For example, the residents of Dwarka would go to the mainland. They had Rivataka Mountain, which was a resort area for the Yadus. And the Pandavas at Indraprastha had a resort vacation area on the Jamuna River. So when Krishna came, you know, because he was, you know, so important to them and he was their cousin and he was everything for them. So they all, all the royals and their assistants, they went down to the, this sort of, uh, you know, resort area on the Jamuna River. And there was a wrestling tournament, among other things. The interesting thing is that the wrestling tournament was among the women. And this is right there in, in the Mahavarta. There was the women had a wrestling tournament. Another example is that when Arjuna and Subhadra eloped and had to sort of flee Dwarka, and the Yadu was really angry because you know you, you don't elope with our women. You know you do it right. You know you give us gifts and and Krishna of course stood up and he he actually this is very interesting. Krishna stood up in, in the, in the, in the uh, Sudharma, the, the famous uh, assembly hall of the Yadus. Krishna stood up, and, stood up and basically said, calm down, people. He said that, look, women are not property. Krishna said this, women are not property. You don't buy and sell them. Which, anyway, makes me wonder about the story about Yudhisthira gambling, Draupadi. But that's another topic. But Krishna himself said, women are not property. You don't buy them. You don't sell them. So anyway, but when Subhadra and Arjuna eloped, it is mentioned that Subhadra happened to be expert in driving a war chariot. Now, driving a war chariot, it's not like driving a city bus or something. Because a war chariot, first of all, there's people shooting at you and, and, and you've got a position, you, whatever warrior you're driving for, it, and the horses are getting all excited. You know, the horse, it's really hard to control the horses. And so it's, um, but Subhadra was expert in driving a war chariot. I'll give just another example. I'm not trying to foment a, you know, a Vaishnavi revolution in ISKCON. I'm just pointing out for example, when um, when Kunti called three, you know, called uh, Dharma, Indra, and uh, Vayu to beget children in Kunti because he couldn't beget sons, they desperately needed it to save the dynasty. And then after Madri double dipped, you know, she had one boon, but she called the twin Ashwins. So then. So meanwhile, Pandu was thinking this is great because he you know, had more sons. And so he said to Kunti, please call more demigods. And she just put her foot down. She said, do you want me to have a baby with every demigod in heaven or what? And, the, and she said, like, what are people going to think of me? So here's a very interesting point. Pandu, this is, this is Mahabharata, in the critical edition. Pandu replied, a woman must follow her husband whether he's right or wrong. That was Pandu's reply. And I'm sure many very conservative Prabhujis have quoted this. However, what actually happened? She, he actually says this, that a woman has to follow her husband whether he's right or wrong. And Kunti just says, forget that. Kunti puts her foot down, she gives more arguments, and then Pandu gets the last word. Yes, dear. So it's very interesting because here, you know, you, you can pull out these verses where Pandu is saying, you know, your woman always has to follow her husband, but it, that goes totally sideways. And it turns out that Kunti says, 
no, you're wrong, and this is the point, and he, okay, and he agrees. So it, it, it's not that invaded culture, men and women, they were just like, you know, disrespected each other or didn't do their duties. But the point I'm trying to make and the point I'm trying to get across in my edition of the Mahabharata, first volume of which I hope to finish in a month, is that these were real people. These were real people. And if you're married, if you're married and you've able and you you've been able to keep your marriage going, you know how much give and take there is. You know how much give and take there is in a marriage. And that's the way it was 5,000 years ago. They were real people and they had real relationships. And so um, I find that interesting. Anyway, I just threw that in. Uh, I have a follow-up uh, point on the question that you said. Is that okay? Um, uh, the point about uh, what he said about the devas and the key people were very uh, high-tech and not the general public. So, I mean, I used to always think that uh, probably um, we have not got all the information from the previous uh, yuga now. I mean, what we have is only uh, limited information. This is my, this is my always my interpretation had been. Like, for example, we hear somebody giving Bhagavatam class that 10,000 people are sitting I'm saying if there is no microphone, how 10,000 people would even hear the Bhagavatam class? So I'm saying technology would have, or some there are some methodology of... Oh, yeah, sure, sure, sure. They could, have, they could have had acoustics. But the point is, but here's the point. We don't really hear about 10,000 people at a Bhagavatam class. I mean, when Sukadeva so, so Goswami was giving class, there were several people sitting in that, uh, you know, uh, audience and... However, however, the Bhagavatam provides us with the guest list. You know, it's like at the Academy Awards. Okay, uh, so-and-so is now, uh, you know, entering. And, you know, so they had, you know, if you would have been watching like the, you know, the uh, Sukadev come in, you know, and there would have been like an announcer talk. Okay, Atrimuni has just arrived. And there is... um, you know, this sage with his wife, so-and-so. And so we actually get the guest list. And it's not thousands, it's not hundreds. I mean, it does say, etc. But we don't really have a good reason to interpret etc. as meaning thousands of people. So it's not, you can say we have limited information, but I would say we have good information because we have the Bhagavatam, we have Shastra. And Shastra just, I mean... Don't be faked out by Hindu and ISKCON art. Because these are, these are just, you know, the conceptions of artists. For example, if you believe Hindu and ISKCON art, you would think that in the spiritual world, you know, women wear saris, cholis, and cover their heads. Which, of course, has absolutely no basis in, in historical fact. We know, for example, that during the time of Krishna, uh, women uh, didn't wear saris, certainly not the gopis, because it's specifically described they wore skirts and belts. And Draupadi wore an upper cloth and a lower cloth, not one cloth as in a sari. I mean, they were so advanced, women probably even had pockets. So, um, I mean, yeah. so, so therefore, uh, what I'm what I'm uh, saying we should do is we shouldn't take all kinds of liberties that go beyond Shastra. That's my point. Thank you so much, Marad. Thank you so much. My pleasure. If you have time, I have one more question, unless nobody else has a question. You'll have to put another coin in the meter. Sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm coin operated. Just kidding. Okay. Well, yeah. What, what's your question? Nita, I get I like him. <laughs> regarding the point on, uh, you know, phonetics with semantics on uh, Rig Veda and uh, Ajur yes. Veda, we all, all the time hear and talk about attitude, mood, over. Um, 
uh, pronunciations and stuff like that all the time when we preach and we, when we talk about. So the uh, current set of prayers that we chant, the current set of uh, uh, mantras that we chant in our own processes as we are now, because the general yeah, populace- but, yeah, but, the, but the emphasis on phonetics is karma kanda. Uh-huh. It's not jnana kanda and it's not bhakti kanda. So we care about devotion. I mean, getting people in the West to pronounce Sanskrit properly is, I don't want to say it's hopeless, but it's, um, if I was a betting man, of course, I'm not allowed to bet, but so, you know, maybe someday we can imagine someday. So yeah, in, in, on the bhakti mark, on the, on the path of bhakti, it's, it's not about pronunciation. It's just about devotion. Okay, that's, thank you. Uh, there is a question on chat by Amit. You have not met him because you have not been to Gurudham for so many years. Oh my God, sorry about Dr. that. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Amit Singh, he is asking you, as you mentioned, Krishna himself explains why that to our planet. Should we give any specific weight or importance to theories proposed by other authorities? Well, uh, good question. Actually, the, um, the opinions expressed by various sages as told to us by Kunti happily coincide with Krishna's own explanations. So in a sense, if we ask the question among the various theories that Kunti is relating, you know, which one is right? And the answer would be they're all right. Now, what Krishna, now Krishna himself actually rejects. Krishna himself addresses certain false philosophies that were around even when he was there. I'll tell you actually, which, I'll give you an example from a Gita verse. Let me just find it real quick. Okay, if you look at Bhagavad Gita, uh, seven, whoops, 24, I think that's what it was. Where Krishna says, avyaktam vyaktim apanam manyante mangabudhaya, sort of people that have no brain, you know, you know, abudhaya, people with, without intelligence think they think me to be avyaktam, formless, invisible, unmanifest, but I, apanam, I have taken on vyaktim, a personal form. Now, interestingly, again, if, if we, you know, look at it closely here, one interesting thing is, is that Krishna uses the verb manyante, which is in the present tense. He's talking about people who are actually living on the earth at the same time as that Krishna came. And so in this and other verse in the Gita, Krishna is actually refuting contemporary ideas. There were people alive when Krishna came who thought that. And so um, it is very interesting, I think, that um, the theories that Kunti lays out turn out to be correct. But Krishna and Kunti also, actually, where he, she says, Adgyad, uh, where she says, Agyad, Hoksaja, that, that you know, the unintelligent people can't know you. So Kunti and Krishna himself and many other people in the Bhagavatam talk about misguided philosophers and misguided people, people who are alive at the same time and just get it wrong. But in the case of Kunti, uh, it's interesting. Uh, she's actually talking about people who are getting it right. And um, so, and Krishna confirms that in different ways and his devotees confirm it. Any other question? 
with any follow-up or Maharaj, are you satisfied? Oh, am I satisfied? No, Amit, I'm asking Amit Maharaj. Oh, Amit, Amit. Thank you very much, Maharaj. Uh, satisfied for sure. <laughs> another satisfied, you see that neat guy? Another satisfied customer. <laughs> yes, Maharaj. <laughs> so, Maharaj, you are, you are in Florida now? No, I am in Tucson, Arizona. Oh. So headed, we'll have a, yeah, I'm headed to the East. We'll have, a, we'll have tomorrow, we'll be in Suresh Prabhu talking oh. to us. Oh, yeah, I was, I was with Suresh for today. Okay. He's an old so, friend of mine. Yes, Suresh, Maharaj. He's an old friend of mine going back to 1970. So, Maharaj, can we make it a habit every third Monday? Yeah, I actually, I do have a debt to Guru Dham. Okay, thank you. That means, yes, okay. <laughs> okay, Manjari, make sure that you... Oh, I got it. Don't worry. <laughs> Manjari is, uh, I can never say no to Manjari. Thanks, man. <laughs> because we have, you know, we go back to those old days of Yo Dog. <laughs> Long time, man. Almost giving my mom a heart attack. <laughs> that's, that's a funny story. Okay, so thank you. All. Thank, thank you, you all very much. It's great, great to see you all. And uh, we'll thank, you, you thank you, Maharaj. Thank you, Maharaj. Thank you, Maharaj, very much. Thank you. Hare Krishna. Thank you, Maharaj. Thank you, Maharaj.